Hello and welcome to the Celeste Stein Show. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Stein, and I hope you will visit my YouTube channel where you can subscribe, like, and share our platform. You can also find me on bbsradio.com where we host the live show on Saturdays at 12 noon Eastern time. I greatly appreciate the time you're taking to engage in our platform where we cover news you can use, self-help topics, and entertainment. Now, on with the show. Today, we are going to learn about how having an attitude of gratitude can really make a difference in our everyday lives and can actually lead us to be more happy. And to delve into this topic today, we have Dr. Greg Hammer. Dr. Hammer is a member of the Stanford WellMD Initiative. He is a best-selling author and is also the former chair of the Physical Wellness Task Force for the California Society of Anesthesiologists. He is a visiting professor and lecturer on wellness at institutions worldwide and teaches medical students, residents, and fellows at Stanford. Dr. Hammer, welcome to the show. Wonderful to be with you, Celeste. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I really, uh, really appreciate. I know you're a very busy man, and I definitely appreciate the time that you're taking today to tell us a little bit about uh, your mindfulness approach and and your book. It's really a pleasure to uh, to engage with you today. So um, I wanted to start by talking about the fact that these days people certainly have a lot to be thankful for if they've made it through the COVID pandemic. Uh, but according to Gallup's Life Evaluation Index, in 2021, 59% of nearly 5,000 Americans surveyed considered their lives to be thriving as opposed to struggling or suffering. Now that's the highest it's actually been in 13 years. So we're seeing, uh, fortunately, an upward trend and that's probably due to some of the, the, the work that you are doing, but are you seeing evidence of this trend? You're quoting data from 2021. Yes, I, I'm. I'm going to get to 2023. We're gonna. We're gonna uh, also uh, look at at uh, what the American Psychiatric Association is saying, as it it slightly differs. But we're gonna we're gonna start here. <laughs> you know, that's very interesting, Celeste, because that was uh, during the fullness of the pandemic, and there's so much uh, information, so many data indicating that depression and suicide and ER visits for psychiatric reasons were at an all-time high around that time. So uh, I'm I'm uplifted to hear that a slight majority of people felt as though they were thriving because there's certainly a lot of people suffering as well. Um, I think- Right. I was- rather surprised to see that, but I also did find uh, other data that is to the contrary. Uh, from the beginning of this year, the American Psychiatric Association reported that nearly 37% of Americans rated their mental health as only fair or poor, up from 31% a year ago. So more than one in four, 20 26% reported anticipated or ex- anticipated experience more stress at the start of 2023, up from one in five or 20% last year. So at the same time, 
29% of American adults indicated they'd adopt New Year's resolutions related to their mental health. Um, and so it's very interesting to see uh, that, you know, obviously not everyone agrees and you're going to get different information. And that's why I like to do a little bit of homework to kind of see what people out there are saying and then even following the trends. But um, are you starting to see a uh, greater focus on mindfulness and the adoption of practices that help people and actually leading healthier lives? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, the word mindfulness may be overused. In fact, it, it does seem as though it's a buzzword. Some people are hearing that term, I think, and getting a little bit turned off now because it's bannered about so much. But I do think that the principles involved in what mindfulness means are being embraced to a greater and greater degree. And that that includes even in medical schools, in medical training programs, and in the corporate world, and, uh, you know, in the general population. I think people, I believe this is really a response to unprecedented stress. So that's why I'm a little surprised to hear the data that you presented from 2021 about 51% of people indicating that they're thriving. You know, I guess these polls, you have to really look at them in context. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you can sort of find data to support your hypothesis, if you will, which is uh, a problem in in the in science and uh, including the medical science. But my my general impression is that the last five years have been unprecedented in terms of the amount of stress that people around the world have really uh, experienced. And, I, you know, the reasons are fairly clear. I think COVID certainly for, for many, many reasons uh, mm -hmm. presented an unprecedented stress, uh, maybe precedented uh, from the great influenza pandemic of 1918, but certainly nothing we've seen in, in my lifetime or the last hundred years. And the effects of COVID persist in many ways, right? Because you know, people are still, uh, there's a lot of virtual meetings and people still working from home and being rather isolated. There are obviously pros and cons of working from home, but um, I think the effects of COVID, uh, certainly uh, I'm writing a book now about mindfulness for teenagers and, you know, our teens missed a lot of fundamental essential experiences in middle school and high school during the pandemic. And I think they're still suffering from those uh, those conse the consequences persist, um, but not yeah, only absolutely. related to COVID, but just you know our our amazing and very sad political divide, you know the extremes mm -hmm. of the left and right, um, artificial intelligence. I think pushing information to us that that we want to read about, that we agree with, and I think that's separating us further in many ways in terms of the news mm -hmm. and other information that gets pushed to us through various online sources. Um, the war in, in Ukraine, of course, is just devastating and terribly depressing. I think we've uh, sort of become immune to it in some ways, but it's just, it's, you know, it's just yeah. incredibly Very depressing. True. And, and then, mm -hmm. you know, to be, uh, you know, the issues that teenagers face in particular, you know, that we never faced, um, you may be a little bit younger than me, but I think even in your generation, uh, <laughs> never experienced mm -hmm what our teens have really experienced, you know, obviously the pandemic and issues related to that, but all the social media 
pitfalls and travails that they experience with online bullying and and you know spending three and a half hours in social media activity you know every day on average um getting less sleep partly because of that um wondering maybe whether the planet will be habitable for their children and grandchildren uh, you know these are things that we didn't really worry about so yeah there's a lot of and, and I, I, yeah i would definitely agree with you um I actually, you know, been a professor also at uh, five different universities uh, across the country and just being in the classroom, um, you know, fortunately, well, I was in, in, in the classroom teaching at Belmont in 2019, but, um, you know, there's so many things that are different uh, when you have a mask on and <laughs> you're trying to talk, you know, even verbal cues are different, but prior to that, uh, a lot of times there were issues with cell phones, people always being on their devices, looking down, not looking up. Um, a lot has changed with that. And I anticipate that there will be a lot more change with artificial intelligence and some of the things that are coming down the pipe that we haven't even be begun to really think about in terms of laws that will need to be passed and, and some of the changes that are going to impact our society. Um, I know you have actually devoted quite a bit of time to actually helping uh, uh, professionals uh, in the healthcare arena. And I myself too, I've worked uh, at Meharry Medical College last year as the Director of External Affairs and Development. And in that role, um, you know, just spending a lot of time about, you know, with, um, uh, you know, Meharry produces 41% of the nation's African-American uh, physicians and dentists uh, in the country. And so um, it was a very busy, busy place, very brilliant minds. Uh, but I will tell you, it, you know, it was already a, a, an incredible amount of stress going on at the time. And when COVID hit, um, there were even more issues that we dealt with at the time. And so I know that um, you have done so much and thank you for the work, the wonderful work you're doing to help people to reduce the amount of stress in their daily lives. Um, tell me about that approach. What made you decide to like delve into that area and begin to help uh, some of your fellow health uh, practitioners? Celeste, I've always been a, a fitness enthusiast, both physical and mental, spiritual health. Um, always been involved in athletics and keeping myself very physically fit. Uh, always been very interested in nutrition. I stopped eating meat when I was 18 and got very interested in nutritional science. And that's my undergraduate degree, in fact. And that's been a big part of my critical care practice, where unfortunately, we tend to starve our patients in the intensive care unit, they just don't get adequately fed for a variety of reasons. And uh, I've been a little bit disappointed in the emphasis that is placed on nutritional biochemistry in medical school and in training programs, but I have done my best to, uh, to teach my trainees more about that. So I've been very interested in physical fitness from a number of angles for my whole adult life, essentially. And then uh, I've also been Long time meditator, sort of spiritual seeker, and 
I don't know, 12 years ago or so, I met a teacher, a spiritual teacher named Rupert Spira, who teaches Advaita, or what we call non-duality. And Mm -hmm. uh, I gradually began to realize that there's nothing really to look for. It's already there. So I've been quite devoted to that practice. And uh, it's really all about being present. And um, so Stanford formed a committee called the WellMD Committee, now called WellMD and PhD, uh, in response to the growing incidence and prevalence of burnout among healthcare providers. Uh, That was probably around 2011. So several threads came together for me around that time. And Mm -hmm. I hopped on that uh, directive and got asked to give a talk shortly thereafter uh, at a national hospital administrators meeting. So hospital administrators were beginning to really see the importance of addressing the problem of burnout as well amongst physicians and other healthcare providers. And then I got asked to give another talk and another talk. And then I had a sabbatical and I decided to write a book to kind of get the message out further. So so it sort of happened organically, uh, you know, the way things normally happen when we find that we're Mm -hmm. getting deeply involved in one endeavor or another in our lives. It usually is a a multitude of factors. And so I've been very involved in that ever since and um, been doing a lot of speaking and talking to people like you, thank you, about this very important topic of what is really mindfulness um, and happiness. It's kind of the science of happiness and and a, and a, a direct path to happiness. So that's kind of how I got involved. And um, it's, you know, it's become a more enlarged part of what I do every day and and with my time in general. Yeah. Well, one thing um, in working with busy professionals in general, especially health professionals, I feel like when people get into the routine of daily life, it's really easy to forget that we're human, if not, uh, you know, uh, or shall we say not superhuman sometimes. And um, I think that, uh, We really have a tough time sometimes recognizing when there is real burnout or depression because we get so busy and in a routine. So how do do people or how do you help people to kind of recognize, hey, maybe this isn't so normal? Um, You know, even though it's a routine, it, it maybe should change. And you know how do you how do you address that and and open up to to talking about it because. you know, a lot of the people I've worked with, you know, it's like failure is not an option. You know, they're they're so um, driven to succeed uh, that they sometimes don't necessarily recognize that, hey, this is a bit much, especially with COVID and, and some of the things we went through during the pandemic. So how have you kind of approached that? Um, and then what are some things you tell them, hey, look out for this and this, you know, how, how do you how do you really go about that? First, I would say that burnout is a manifestation of chronic stress. So chronic stress produces physical and mental fatigue, and it has many symptoms. Uh, this includes uh, an erosion of our patients, um, not patients with a T, but patients with a CE, 
And uh, although it might lead to the other as well, if you're a physician, <laughs> yeah. you might start losing your patients in more ways than one. But, <laughs> you know, there are ways to recognize that. Um, chronic stress has many deleterious effects on our physiology. So certainly affects our sleep. So we might recognize that we're not sleeping well. We're fatigued. And, you know, the three real legs of the tripod that support our physical health are sleep, exercise, and nutrition. I call it nutrition rather than diet for a number of reasons. But so we may recognize that our sleep is eroding in terms of quantity and quality. We're more fatigued when we're fatigued and exhausted. We tend to pick up sugary and fatty so-called comfort foods, especially in the hospital. You know, a grateful patient mm -hmm. leaves a box of seized chocolates and we find we're picking food up like that more and more and eating less nutritional foods and we're picking up foods that give us sort of a burst of energy, but then we crash. So our nutrition goes a bit downhill when we're fatigued. And then we find that we're often too tired to exercise. So our exercise regimen, whatever that might be, also begins to go downhill. And this is uh, becomes a self-propagating cycle of poor sleep, poor nutrition habits, uh, less exercise, and Pretty soon, you know, we're, we put on some pounds, we feel a lot uh, less positive about our physical well-being. And so it's recognizable if we're paying attention at all. And also on the mental side, we may find that, again, we're kind of becoming impatient. Um, I think many of us, after 10 or 12 hours at work, are getting a little bit frayed at the edges at times. We find maybe that this is happening earlier and earlier in the day. And sometimes mm. it gets to the point where we get to work and we become very impatient and maybe a little bit temperamental after we've been there for an hour or two hours, rather than having this happen at the end of the day and getting frustrated with people that we work with and so on. So, you know, sometimes other people have to remind us that, you know, we're not, we don't look as happy as we used to, but I think in many cases, if we're at all introspective and willing to take a look at ourselves, uh, we will realize that you know we're not really thriving uh and so i think you know it does take a little bit of self-awareness and introspection but this is a very common process and i think um i've been through it myself uh where i found i was kind of snapping at people at work and you know feeling more and more fatigued earlier and earlier in the day so you know these symptoms are pretty recognizable if we're paying attention at all yeah and i'm, I'm sure people are thinking as they they were listening there. One thing, um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about how you can kind of help people get rid of some of those negative thoughts that are running through their head. We'll be back in just a moment. A lot of things have come to a screeching halt due to COVID-19, but you should know that the court system in Tennessee is still open and holding in-person hearings for orders of protection and other types of abuse cases. If you have a hearing date, double check on where your hearing will be held. If you need assistance on an order of protection or temporary restraining order, contact the Legal Aid Society at 1-800-238-1443 or visit our website at www.las.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Celeste Stein. Welcome back. You are listening to the Celeste Stein Show, and we are here with Dr. Greg Hammer. And Dr. Hammer, um, 
really appreciate the work that you're doing. I want to talk now about what are some of the ways that you actually help people to get rid of some of those negative thoughts uh, that are running through their minds? You know, it's it's always something, especially when you're stressed and you have a lot of things going on. How do you help them get rid of those negative thoughts and feel better about the situation that they may happen to find themselves in? That's a great question, Celeste. Uh, I think that there are a couple of ways in which our brains have become hardwired over tens of thousands of years of evolution. We can posit what the reasons for that might be, but certainly one way our brains are wired is that we all have a negativity bias. So as you suggested, we all have a lot of negative thoughts running through our minds. And I think the first thing to realize is that this is the way all of us are wired to think. So this is not our dirty little secret that we have all these negative thoughts and self-doubt. This is the way all of us think. I was listening to a wonderful program on NPR called The Hidden Brain a couple of weeks ago, and the host had a guest on who studies the imposter syndrome. He's he's an academic Mm. and he's kind of an expert on that. And basically what he was saying is that everyone has this issue. And and this is really a manifestation of those negative thoughts running through our minds repeatedly, as you suggested. So even the most successful film actors, uh, executives, professionals, physicians, attorneys, others, academics, we all feel as though we're sort of flying by the seat of our pants and that we don't really deserve the recognition that we get, that we don't deserve to be as accomplished as we are. And that if people knew our dirty little secrets, they wouldn't really respect us and want to listen to us anymore. So everybody feels that way. We all have these negative negative thoughts. So I call this a negativity bias. And it's the way we all think. And the, mm-hmm. another way that we all think, the way our brains are hardwired, is that we're very distracted with the past and the future. So we have a hard time being present and appreciating our present experience is really where happiness resides. So mm-hmm. when you combine, well, yes. Now, I was just going to say, I, you know, I feel like um, when I think back um, when I was growing up, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I um, noticed that it, it just seemed like people were a lot more happy back then, that things were little, I guess, simpler, if you will. (laughs) Um, But I'll say that I noticed a change sort of um, kind of that went along with like American Idol. (laughs) And then we had the cancel culture, but like people like Simon Cowell uh, constantly, you know, telling people how he felt about their performance and it, it seemed like after that everyone felt like they had to critique everything um and then you know with social media you know going into that you had a lot of people that got into um making comments on everything especially um during the political campaigns you know you saw a lot of people banter back and forth and uh you know they canceled out friends and, you know, it's a lot, lot going on, a lot to unpack at that time. But, you know, I think that, uh, you know, even watching journalism, journalism, I was a journalist for ABC for about 18 years. And uh, when I, when I think back, we, 
would try to be objective uh, with everything, you know, always making sure you got both sides of the story, didn't give your opinion. And, you know, that you let people decide what they thought. But that has totally changed in the last, you know, I say seven to 10 years where even the journalists that you might watch on television are giving their opinions about things. And so I really um, don't know where we're headed with that as far as a society and, and, and being so negative. But I definitely uh, am glad that uh, people are starting to, to realize this and how it actually impacts us as a society. Um, I wanted to ask next about uh, the GAIN approach that you've come up with. Um, tell me what GAIN stands for. Well, it's interesting because you were just pointing out about how judgmental we've become, that we really uh, tend to be very biased in our points of view. We don't see the world as it is. We're, this is part of what we talked about in the beginning, where we have this great divide, not only in our politics, but in society in general. And we tend to be very polarized and harshly judge the other side, as it were, not that there truly isn't the other side. We're all really the same and we're all in this together. But uh, GAIN mm -hmm. is an acronym for what I think are the four pillars of happiness. And we started out talking about gratitude. We haven't really delved into it, but um, GAIN stands for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. So non yeah, I do want to unpack each one of those, you know, sure. uh, since we really haven't done that. Uh, let's start with gratitude. Why do you think gratitude uh, is so important? Well, we could start by acknowledging that just our empiric experience is that gratitude is intrinsic to happiness. So we, mm -hmm. we have seen and can appreciate that people can be physically handicapped and happy. People can be relatively poor and happy, but you can't even imagine somebody who's ungrateful and happy. And the fact is that we all have much for which to be grateful. So, you know, we get out of bed in the morning and maybe our back is a little stiff. And again, we tend to be very negative. So we start dwelling on the stiffness in our back and our aches and pains and so on. And we tend to forget or at least not acknowledge that it's a miracle that the rest of our body is working as well as it is. You know, I think the human body yeah. is just miraculous in its function and the way all of the cells in our body are so interconnected, just like everything in the universe. Uh, it's really a miracle. And so we can be grateful for the relative health that we have, even if our health is not perfect. We certainly can be grateful for our connections to others. So we all have people that we love and whom love us. We have family members, friends, we can be grateful for that. We may be grateful for the fact that we live in a relatively safe home, that we're sheltered. I mean, compared to perhaps other people in the world, especially at the moment, it's not mm -hmm. difficult to envision those who live in a very unsafe environment. So even if our neighborhood is not 100% secure, we can be grateful for the safety that we enjoy and, and all the luxuries we have of modern living. So we all have much for which to be grateful. And the idea is, you know, a moment ago, we were talking about our negativity bias, and we tend to feel like, oh, why is this happening? And we're complaining a bit. It's not uh, impossible to rewire the way we think to a more positive way of thinking and a more grateful way of thinking. And I think 
that's the first step toward becoming a happier person. So gratitude is just, uh, for many, many reasons, intrinsic to our happiness. Right. I do want to say something, though. Um, I feel like I'm a pretty upbeat and positive person. I try to, you know, always look at things in a positive light. And even if I have something going on, I'm smiling. I mean, you'd never know it, etc. But I'll say I have worked with some very negative people. I I can think of one guy I used to work with and um, his motto was the grass is brown all the way around. <laughs> he probably knows who he is. But anyway, I want to say that what do you do when you you might be trying to be, you know, upbeat and positive and look at the brighter side of life. But let's say you're surrounded by a lot of negative people, because I think that's what happens to a lot of people, that they are actually influenced by those people around them. And when you're in that circumstance, you know, I find personally, I kind of move away from the negativity, you know, but um, if you're stuck in that situation, what can you do? Well, you know, uh, we could talk about the gain practice, which begins with a, a three to five minute meditation in the morning where we contemplate yes. these four elements. So we talked about gratitude and I think what you're actually pointing to is the next element of gain, which is the A for acceptance. So, and these are age old ideas, by the way, these are certainly not of my invention. These are uh, important principles that are well embedded in religious and philosophic traditions uh, across the board. So gratitude and then acceptance. So as the serenity prayer would have it, for example, we need to discern between what we can change and what we cannot change and have the wisdom to be able to discern and then work on accepting that which we cannot change. So we can only have a small impact on other people. So to your point about being surrounded by a lot of negativity, we have to discern uh, with respect to with whom we want to spend our time. So, you know, we have a half hour or an hour to have a cup of coffee with a friend. Do we want to have it with friend A, who's very negative and thinks the grass is, grass is brown everywhere? Or do we want to have that cup of coffee with friend B, who's like you, rather upbeat, positive, pragmatic, forward-looking, able to be present? Certainly, we're going to discern and have the experience with friend B, um, it doesn't mean that we have to judge going to the end and gain, which is non-judgment. Right. We don't have to judge either person as being bad or good for yeah. that matter, but we need yeah. to discern. And so, you know, we have to appreciate what we what we can change and what we cannot change. We we can have a small impact on everybody around us by our own attitude and behavior. So we can sort of radiate gratitude and uh, optimism and a pragmatic positive outlook and that will have some effect on the people close to us but we're not going to change the world we're not going to change the way all those other people think and so mm -hmm. the a also means accepting the pain and discomfort that all of us feel in life because the world does not comport with our apparent wants and needs so how do we deal with that well again if we can't change it then we should sit with it and during our gain meditation, we actually, while we're in touch with our breath, the deep, slow breathing that we do during this experience, 
we actually, with our eyes closed, we contemplate acceptance and take one of those uncomfortable or even painful experiences and imagine bringing it closer and closer and imagine opening our chest and opening our heart and bringing that painful or uncomfortable experience into our heart and actually sitting with it, nurturing it, enveloping it with our heart. And when we do that, and we link this to our slow, deep breaths, uh, we often realize it's not as bad as we thought when we were resisting it, when we we're trying not to think about it. And so okay. I think this is something that this is a practice uh, by virtue of which we can all become happier and more present and mindful people. And so, yes, we live in a world that has a lot of adversity, a lot of negativity. And, uh, you know, the idea is not to get... Uh, not to have it sink us, but rather discern between what we can change, what we cannot change, and and actually have an active practice of acceptance of that which is uncomfortable or painful that we cannot change. Right. And that that is so important because I think a lot of people, you know, kind of think ignoring a problem will make it go away, you know? And so it is really good to think about, you know, taking the time to really think about whatever it is that might be troubling you and really meditate with that. And like you said, I think you then start to realize, uh, you know, tomorrow's another day and how you can get through it. It's just making it to that next day. And that's so important because I can't tell you how many times, you know, you might be upset about something in the moment that day, but the next day can be a very beautiful day. So, so important um, to, to think about that. And then, I think your next, the I is what for intention. Um, right. And, and why do you think it's so important to be intentional? Um, well, when you we know, approach we, things. Sure. We, uh, I'm going to refer first to something that uh, definition of mindfulness by one of my heroes, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who's really one of the founders of mindfulness. And, and the way he defined mindfulness, which I think can also be a definition of happiness is Awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. Awareness of the present moment. So learning and retraining the way we think away from this obsession and overthinking of the past and the future and sitting with our present experience on purpose. Why on purpose? And this gets to your question about the I in gain, which is intention. The reason is that we tend to have this negativity bias and this obsession with the past and future. We overthink those. And with our negativity bias, we overthink the past. We gravitate toward regret and shame. And this generates low self-esteem and depression. And when we overthink the future with our negativity bias, we tend to catastrophize and think of all the bad things and the worst things that can happen. And this generates a lot of fear and anxiety. And so anxiety and depression are two of the most common maladies that many of us suffer. So if we want to be more present and more positive for that matter, we need to have a plan. We need to have purposefulness in the way we think and experience. We need to have intention. If we don't have intention, we simply lapse into our old habits of negativity and distraction with the past and future. So because this is the way our brains are wired, we have to have a plan or intention in order to rewire our brains. And the good news is that we have this amazing quality called neuroplasticity. So our brains mm -hmm. can be rewired. 
Now, they've become wired the way they are over a very long period of time. We're not going to change the way we think overnight. But again, the good news is if we have a plan, if we have intention, if we have a daily practice, be it only three to five minutes, we can take baby steps every day to rewire our brains to be more positive and present. So it does take intention. It does take purple purposefulness, as Dr. Kabat-Zinn said. Um, but the good news is if we do have a plan and we follow that plan, uh, we can become happier and happier people. Right. I can think of a, a, a really good example of being more intentional that I think a lot of people don't really think about. And that's like with cell phones. Like when you are at the beach or somewhere, I mean, I just love going places like that where you have so much beauty in front of you. Just just look at the ocean, um, the vastness and, and just sit there. That's a great place, you know, say to meditate or what have you. But I look around and you see, the majority of people have a what? They're at the beach with the sun beaming down and they're still on that cell phone and just, they never even look up, you know? And so I think it's um, really important to to set parameters. I think cell phones came about, people just, you know, took it on, gave the phones to their kids. There were no rules in place. You know, when I grew up, we had, we had rules. You had to be in by nine o'clock or when the street lights came on, you know, there were certain rules, but you know, with cell phones, it's just like, all right, I'm going to give my kid this cell phone so that if something happens, they can call me from school or I can come get them. I'll know where they are, et cetera, et cetera. But they've gotten so into it. And there's so many applications on there that people focus way too much on that. And I think we're going to have to be intentional, intention, excuse me, intentional about setting parameters around these cell phones and, and different things that uh, really take our attention away from our well-being. So I think that's really, really important what you mentioned. And then finally, uh, let's get to non-judgment. Um, and I think this is one that obviously is going to be pretty hard for most people um, because I think so many people feel like they have to give their opinion again and be so critical of everything. But um, what ways do you think people can actually, I, I think, be intentional about being non-judgmental? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think you pointed out that these four elements, these pillars of happiness, gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment are very inter interwoven, interconnected. So yes, we have to be intentional about being non-judgmental. Um, we have to be accepting that things are not always in line with our wants and needs. And, uh, you know, these the gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment are really all part of the same program. And you were talking earlier about those who are being very critical of others. And I can posit that those who are critical of others are also very self-critical. You may not see it, but uh, in their quiet moments, most most of us with our negativity bias are very judgmental of ourselves. We are our own harshest critics. And we also, as, as you said, you know, we see the world with a lot of judgment. And when we judge, 
we're not seeing things as they truly are. We're seeing things through a veil of our own biases and preconceptions. And uh, it's very important to learn how to drop the judgment. So in the game practice, which maybe if we have a minute, I can just kind of walk you through it. Uh, mm -hmm. We get up in the morning, we open the blinds, we do our morning hygiene, we find a comfortable place to sit, we close our eyes, we get in touch with our breath. And so the first thing is we slow down our inhalation, inspiration to a count perhaps of three. We pause with the breath, uh, fullness of the breath to a count of three, and then we release the breath very slowly without effort to a count of four. So we sit slowly focusing on counting to three during our in-breath, pausing to a count of three, exhaling to a count of four. When we slow the breath down, we activate our parasympathetic nervous system. And that slows our heart rate, lowers our blood pressure, lowers the amount of adrenaline in our body, lowers the amount of cortisol in our body that controls our blood sugar in part. So this physiology of activating the parasympathetic nervous system just with slowing our breath down is so vital. And then we begin a contemplation of that for which we're grateful, the G in gain. So we've already discussed all the things for which most of us have to be grateful we transition then after 30 or 45 seconds to acceptance. We again uh, talked about that. We find something that's uncomfortable or painful. We imagine bringing it into our heart. We actually visualizing nurturing it with our heart and sitting with it. Again, linking this to the slow, deep breath. We transition to intention. Um, we may spend 15 seconds focused on our on our sensations, on the pressure of the chair against our body, the slightly sweet smell of the air we're breathing, something we hear off in the distance, maybe a car or an airplane. This is training us to get in touch with our current present experience. And then we pledge with our purposefulness, our intention to, to remember the positive in everything. Remember the miracles of everyday life. And then we transition to non-judgment. So to your question, one way to do this exercise and and sort of, you know, progress to non-judgment in the game practice is we might, for example, picture one of these beautiful NASA images of the earth, the earth apparently suspended in space. And it's a, it's a lovely planet, but it is intrinsically neither good nor bad. The earth is neither good nor bad. So we acknowledge that <clears throat> the earth is neither good nor bad. The earth is simply the planet that it is. And then it's only logical for us to think that I, too, am neither good nor bad. I am neither good nor bad. I simply am the person that I am. And we sit with that and we may repeat the I am with the breath, slow and purposeful and deep. And then we go right back to the breath and then slowly open our eyes. And what we've done in the last three or four or five minutes is really begin the process of rewiring our brains. So non-judgment to your question is key for a variety of reasons. And most importantly, you know, as I said, we, we are our own harshest critics. So we can do a cognitive behavioral exercise when we're really down on ourselves. And imagine we're talking to a good friend who was in the same predicament or had done the same things or perhaps not done the same things that we're criticizing ourselves for. And imagine how we would respond to that friend with whom we're sitting as they, as they relate these feelings. 
we would not judge them if we're truly a good friend. We would actually reassure them that they are just a human being. They are neither good nor bad. What they did or didn't do was not bad. It's just, we're all fallible. We're all mortal. This is just part of being a human being and we can drop the judgment. And so that's a good exercise. We can treat ourselves as though we are our best friend. We're talking to our best friend, perhaps. So again, mm -hmm. non-judgment is essential and the end and gain. And I think, again, all four of these elements are accessible and interrelated. And I think the practice as a whole can really help us very gradually rewire the way we think and experience life. Very good. I I really, uh, I think I will be a little bit more intentional about <laughs> trying to fit that type of thing in. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, like when you have a busy schedule, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll uh, end up with some of the little things that uh, we can do to make our lives a little bit better. We'll be back right after this. When it comes to relationships, there are some obvious signs you can use to spot someone who might be abusive. First, they have a tendency to want to rush into a relationship. They may also show signs of jealousy and mistrust, and you could find they expect you to be perfect and will try to cut you off from other important relationships. They could also be abusive towards animals and children. To learn more about the signs of dangerous individuals and how you can identify and avoid unhealthy relationships, contact the Legal Aid Society at 1-800-238-1443. And we're back in the studio here with Dr. Greg Hammer and want to mention that like many business professionals, I feel sometimes that I am so busy and I'm always doing something. And over the years, you know, I've worked, like I mentioned, in television and academia where there's always so much going on, so many people coming at you and things that you have to get done under a deadline and, and you know, often will have major projects. So, how do you actually suggest or actually get people who have, say, a six-page uh, daily to-do list to actually slow down long enough to meditate? Uh, where can they actually fit that in uh, in a way that it's, uh, you know, and, and you I think you mentioned, what, three minutes? Um, yes. I, what would you suggest? Well, I think exactly that. Um, it doesn't have to be a long process. Meditation, you know, many people think that it means you have to sit still without moving or scratching an itch for 30 minutes at a time, possibly in an uncomfortable position with your right ankle behind your left ear uh, and banish all thoughts from your mind. And none of those are true, of course. So the game practice can be done in as little as three minutes. And it's good to do it First thing in the morning, as I said, we get up, we we see the light outside, we open the blinds, we do whatever we do uh, for our morning hygiene practice. And then we just take three minutes to sit and really close our eyes and relax and get in touch with our breath. And then we go through a contemplation of the gain elements, return to the breath and slowly open our eyes. And we can set our intention for this practice the night before. We'll say, Instead of getting up at 6.30, I'm going to get up at 6.27. So I'm going to set my alarm three minutes early. So that's actually the eye and gain we talked about as intention. We're setting our intention the night before. We're recognizing that this is an essential practice. It's like 
brushing our teeth or, you know, getting up and stretching our legs. It's something that we just need to do for our general wellness. And it's not difficult. We just have to incorporate it into our daily life and, and as a habit. And so we set our intention the night before. We get up three minutes early and we do this practice. And what happens, Celeste, is that the more we do this game practice, the more we sit with these four important principles, what happens miraculously is as we slowly begin to rewire our brains, during the day, we find ourselves kind of complaining and feeling sorry for ourselves and being ungrateful. A little light bulb goes off and we're reminded that we did our gratitude contemplation for those 45 seconds in the morning and here we are being ungrateful and so we can have a little laugh to ourselves for our human habitual way of thinking and being ungrateful and just redirect our thoughts to remembering all the things for which we have to be grateful or we're driving in our car to go to work after we do our, our game meditation in the morning and this driver on our right changes lanes into our lane kind of close to us without using their turn signal. And we immediately start to make all these judgments, how inconsiderate this person is and so on and so on. And then a little light bulb goes off and we realize we just did our non-judgment practice as part of our gain meditation. And here we are judging this person. We don't know this person. Maybe their wife is in labor in the back seat. It doesn't really matter. We don't have to judge them as being good or bad. And so a little light bulb moment a recognition, redirection of our thoughts. And so no matter how busy we are, we can carve out three minutes in the morning. And then we're walking down the hall during our busy day, going to a meeting. We're feeling a little anxious. Uh, you know, we recognize that we're not breathing properly. We can go for days without really taking a good deep breath and really opening those little air sacs called alve alveoli in our lungs. And improving the amount of oxygen that gets into our body. We can we can go for a day or two without doing that. So we're walking down the hall, we're recognizing we're carrying the stress in our body and our chest and our belly. And a little light bulb goes off and we just start doing our deep, deep intentional gain breathing. And these principles come back to us because they're like a Pavlovian response. When we focus on the breath, we start to realize that for which we're grateful, accepting, intentional, and non-judgmental. And so this becomes part of the way we think and, and gradually in baby steps to a greater and greater extent. No matter how busy we are, we can always take a, a deep breath or two and and reconnect with these important principles. And, uh, you know, we might, by practicing acceptance and having those light bulb moments with acceptance, realize that we don't really need all those elements on the six pages. We can accept the fact that we can only do so much and maybe we can be more discerning about kind of limiting the amount that we're taking on. So I, I think the busier we are actually the more important this is. And it's something that we can all do just like all the other little things that we incorporate into our daily habit. Yeah. I know, um, you know, we've talked a lot about, uh, meditating and some of the different uh, principles that you use to to help people. But one thing we haven't talked about, I often think of my overall health and well-being as being like mind, body, and spirit, which you touched on a little bit earlier. Um, and you mentioned uh, you're really into um, 
fitness as well. And, you know, do you see that as a, a strong integral part of all of this? Um, you know, it, how important is it to work out as well um, in all of this to have the, the overall package there? Well, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the three legs of the tripod that support our physical well-being, being sleep, exercise, and nutrition are essential. And if we don't take care of our physical well-being, we're not going to be in a good place mentally and spiritually, right? We're going to be distracted by our bodies, by our fatigue, by the fact that we're relatively out of shape, that we're, you know, eating in an unhealthy way. We're going to be very distracted. So, Again, this is where the eye and gain of intention and being purposeful about the way we live, not just in terms of the game practice, but our physical well-being. So we need to have a plan with regard to our sleep. And so there are really a handful of principles that we need to be uh, that we need to attend to. So we should have a relatively constant bedtime and wake time. We should avoid mm -hmm. screens at least for an hour before we go to sleep. Um, we should avoid drinking caffeine perhaps after the morning, early morning hours, because caffeine has a very long half-life. And if you're sensitive to it, and not everybody is, but I am. So that cup of coffee you might have at one o'clock in the afternoon, it's like having half a cup, half a cup of coffee at seven o'clock at night and a quarter of a cup of coffee at midnight or so. And so that would certainly keep me awake. So we need to be mindful about caffeine intake, about alcohol intake. Again, that interferes with our sleep. Mm -hmm. um, so there's really a handful of things we can do to attend to our sleep. Exercise. You mentioned, do we have to work out? The fact is, if we want our bodies to be healthy, we need to exercise. So again, baby steps. If we haven't been doing any exercise routinely, start with just a walk around the block in the morning um, and mm -hmm. then add another walk around the block in the afternoon. And then Maybe lengthen it a little bit, take the dog, uh, start to go for a jog or a bike ride. Um, um, I think resistance training is also really important as well. So we can we can learn mm -hmm. how to incorporate some of that. So sleep, exercise, we need to be intentional. And then, of course, with regard to our nutrition, a handful of principles, maybe move toward more of a plant-based diet, lots of mm -hmm. colorful fruits and vegetables, Try to eliminate or at least reduce the amount of sugar and highly refined foods in our diet. So these are, you know, simple, sort of intuitive. You know, we get this information from many sources. We just need to be a little bit more intentional and purposeful about incorporating those ways of eating and, and uh, you know, nutritional practice into our into our daily lives. So, yes, I think we need yeah. a plan for sleep, exercise and nutrition. I think it's essential if we want to. Uh, employ a mindful way of living and a healthy way of living. Yeah, so true. It's uh, so interesting to me how one thing leads to another. Uh, if you don't get a good night's rest, I know personally, if if I don't sleep well the next day, I will not feel like going to the gym. You know, it just, it all interconnects. And so I think you are so on it when it comes to just looking at our overall health and how the pieces fit together. This has been a wonderful uh, engagement today. I do appreciate your coming on the show. We are about out of time. Uh, before we go, I just wanted to again say thank you for joining us uh, and sharing about how basically having an attitude of gratitude can certainly help us all in leading happier lives. 
Um, one thing, if you would like more information on Dr. Greg Hammer, you can visit his website at greghammermd.com. And for this and other episodes of the Celeste Stein Show, please visit and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time.